Well, what do you reckon? Could this be the new Renegade Economist intro track? Someday we'll have money. All right, uh, welcome to the Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. This week, a special recording of last night's sellout event, Boom or Bust? Where are we in the property cycle? Phil Anderson, the author of The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking, was at our Punch Lane premises, the last event to be held there. Yes, notice going out to dear listeners, we are moving to LSX, a shared office space in Lenox Street, Richmond. So uh, high rents have chased us out of the city and we're in Richmond, the next ring out. So we're looking forward to being surrounded by lots of talented people. But uh, yeah, we're going to hear two segments from last night's talk uh, where Philip. Uh, attracted a packed out crowd he's uh, big on cycles forecasts and trends you can check out his work via businesscycles.biz businesscycles.biz or the daily reckoning and uh, he specializes in 18 year cycles and how we can actually have some insight into what's going on by analyzing the pursuit of economic rents and we're going to start off with him talking about the development in London for the Olympic Games surrounding Stratford. And then we're going to go into the Q&A section where hopefully you can hear the questions. It was very interesting. So let's get into today's show with Philip Anderson. The Stratford Regeneration, which uh, is taking place um, again to give you an idea of what all the sort of stuff that goes that takes place in the UK, I'll just give you a bit of a story before I continue. I live, at least when I'm in the UK, the house, the places I bought, uh, here. Um, the reason I bought there in 2009 and 2010 uh, is because of all the massive regeneration that was happening once they announced that uh, Britain had got the um, Olympic Games. Lendlease won the um, the ability to produce if I can show it, to produce um, a Westfield that comes through, which is sort of um, through there, and they were very smart because the only way you can get to the Olympic stadiums you have to walk through Westfield. And it was pretty smart. And then Westfield they employed they employed to build all of these things. They employed ninety thousand people. Um, you know, the, the sorts of things they do in the UK are, are, are beyond what we get to see in Australia. Australia doesn't rate by what's going on in the US and the UK with development, with land, land infrastructure and other things that are taking place. Um, the director of, in charge of the development there that was working for Lend-Lease, um, I noted as they were building, they gave an undertaking, I think one of the reasons what they... One of the reasons why they got the job, they gave an undertaking that they would employ half the employees. They would take them from the local community, which is the the local local council of Newham, and surround there. Newham happens to be the poorest borough in the UK, um, and it was Lendlease's reaction. The guys there that they must have been pulling their hair out because they employed substantially from the local community. Lendlease had to then spend ten weeks teaching 15,000 of these people to read and write. That's what you're dealing with here. Now, 
probably, I think Lendlease knew exactly what would happen. I certainly knew what exactly what would happen because when you introduce infrastructure of this massive size, Lendlease also said that they'd employ all these people, which they did. And what happens is when you get a rise of about 0.8 of a percent of the wages of the local community, the land price is going to go up 1.5%. That's the stats. Which meant now the borough of Newham now has a problem because the people that live and work there can no longer afford to rent. Yes? And to add insult to everything that's going on, see, the land price takes the gains. To add insult to what I thought was just a, one of the silliest things I've ever seen, but this is what governments do. See all this stuff here. That's all the Olympic Games village there, across there. Yes? Which they built for all the Olympians came in. It's a, it's a beautiful area. It's, it's been really well built, really nicely done. I, I, I walk through, from where I live, I can walk through here. It takes me about eight or nine minutes to get to the Stratford International Station. And then from Stratford International Station, it takes me four and a half minutes at a high-speed train going 180 miles an hour to get, into, to get into central London. Okay, That's the sort of access that these cities have got now. You look, every time I come back to, to Australia, especially when I come back to Melbourne, I see the rubbish discussion going on about why... <laughs> Melbourne ought to be building an underground. You don't need to borrow from a bank to do that. You can fund it through the increase in the land value if we really chose to. But it's never going to happen because the real estate lobby don't allow. We'll get to talk a bit more about that as well. So what did the UK government choose to do here? All that whole site, the land underneath, was sold to a, to a, a sheikh from Abu Dhabi. He paid $1.2 billion for the right to collect a future rent from all the people that live there. Oh. Coming back to Australia, um, you, you talked about tall buildings and 2019 and our mid-cycle mid slowdown perhaps is going to be a bit more of a, a big drop then in the US. I just wondered whether you had any opinions of how you might see from 2019 to 2026 occurring with China being our neighbours and this odd economy that we have with the resource women all that. Just any opinions on how uh, We have to see how that plays out. Um, I still happen to think, I've said this, I've said this every year in the Prosper, I think we've done this since about 2007, haven't we? Yeah. Every year, except we didn't do last year, did we? Don't remember doing it. Anyway. I've done this every year since 2007, it might have been 2006, which uh, Carl has very run very well for me. And I've always liked, always enjoyed coming back here because I feel I'm amongst friends, so it's, it's all been all good. After 2009, every single time I've said the same thing. I think Australia and the world is going to see the biggest boom of all time. You've heard me say that now for what, eight years? Other people were in here at the same time. And here we are, it's all behind us now. But we've seen a big, large boom which people, set, especially in Australia, are struggling with. And every single time I do these, every single year since 2007 when I've gone through this, every single time, every question comes along and says, 
Yes, but Phil, what about this? What about that? And still, we're just moving upwards. Now, for, for, as to the, I still think, we're in train for the biggest boom of all time. Now, um, if you go back and check all the past cycles, back to 1800 in the US and prior to that in the UK, every single cycle's been bigger than the one before it, so far. And I don't see anything happening currently that will get me to change my mind on that. All that happens with the cycle is it's every 18.6 years, all that happens, the numbers just get bigger. That's all I've ever seen happen. For me, personally, I really struggled with the timing over the previous cycle because I thought from after two, the year 2000, how can this just keep repeating? Because I, I tell you, in 2003, 2004, people were asking the same questions about about things just can't go any higher and Australia's had this massive boom, 2001, 2002. How can things just keep going up? But somehow they do. China is not, its banks are not part of the rest of the world. They're, they're hugely insular. Now, if China has a problem, they're definitely slowing down. They're going to slow down more. If China does have a bit of a problem going forward and it gets more serious than the party can manage, they've got a lot of stuff. They've got a lot of things that they, the party can throw at any problems that come through. They can, they can privatise the councils. They can privatise the debts. They can, they can recapitalise a lot of the banks. They can do things and, and they're not connected to the rest of the world. That will show up in Australia in commodity prices but not real estate. And it's already showed up in commodity prices because it'll show up in the stock market. But the real estate stuff, it's just, it's a little different than that. So I still think we can get the cycle. I still think 2019 is going to be big. I don't see it, because it's already implicated, already affected Australia through commodity prices because the stock market will price that in before it happens. It's already priced in. So we're on the verge yet of another, in my view, big move up. And it can, it can peak. We can certainly get this slowdown after 2019 to 2021. But, and then even more into the middle part of the next decade. And then if you see things going right over the top, right around the world, and somebody stands up somewhere in 2024 and says real estate will never collapse, blah, 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 then you know where we are. You've just got to play it year by year. All this, all I've tried to do tonight, all that, all that really happens with, with that is to, it's the only thing I've ever found anywhere, bar none, that has given me a, an ability to put a theoretical overview on what I'm seeing. That's all I do. Yes? I'm not always going to be right, but once I get that theoretical overview, that's been a huge help with stuff. Then, after that, you just got to learn how to read a chart. You do that with Cam. Did that answer the question? Yeah, right? it does. And I have to say, uh, I'm from the UK. Yes? And I live right through everything you just said. Yes. 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 Yeah. The UK people in the UK lived that cycle. They really did. And then uh, the, right through 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, everybody was still worried that that things would go even worse until the Olympics. And I'm an example of the cheap credit. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Can't, <laughs> can't do that now, can you? It's just absolutely impossible. Absolutely. Although I do think it's interesting in Australia, one thing is the um, unsecured loans here, for some reason there's no transparency from bank to bank, whereas in the UK, you can't get away with not telling, oh by the way I've got this credit card, that one, the credit card is here, 
I'm a bit suspicious of whether that might have something to do with later on, because yes. it just outstands me that they don't look into that. Yes. Good. I know Brian's keen to ask a question, then we've got a few more down the back. Yes, Yeah, you didn't take people around time because I'm usually the fact that it says, yeah, but, and this time I wanted to ask you, first of all, I know you certainly been right, but it seems that with the QE, it's boosted Wall Street, but to what extent is that getting down the main street? Because ultimately you need a dollar, and there's still a hell of a lot of household debt in America, the UK, and particularly in Australia. And, <clears throat> you know, companies can buy back their shares, but ultimately, you know, people can spend it. So, and they're seeing the, the, the size of the money coming in and off there, and people are doing harder. So, so what is that playing to your scenarios? Oh, no, they're, they're good questions, um, Brian. It's, I should say, you know, it's not never a, you know, I'm at great pains to say, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, and if you make an individual forecast about those sort of things, you know, if, you, if I said to someone that they're going to break their ankle down in Brunswick Street tomorrow, well, you don't walk down Brunswick Street tomorrow, do you? So, so markets change. So just because I say something, you've got to take that, you, you've got to work it out, you guys have got to work it out for yourself. And it's not a matter of being right. It's just, um, it's just what I try to show people is to overlay that theoretical framework which, which uh, I learned pretty much from Brian and one or two others here, so I'm, t I'm forever grateful um, about that. Because it's it just, um, it, it's so reduced the stress in my life to be able to have some sort of theoretical framework where I could make reasonable decisions. Okay, and you have to make deci investment decisions yeah. with these sorts of things. And it's just, uh, it just, just takes away so much of the, of the uh, stress. It doesn't take away the risk, but it allows you to formulate things. Now, the, we're going to have to see what happens in the US. There are, there are a lot of people in the US, you're quite right, who, and you see this on some of the US reality TV and other stuff that comes forward where, the, where to my way of thinking, the, the, uh, the education level isn't very high and the earnings level is just even worse. Um, at some point, at some point, you'd think that system is a breaking point. But all I've seen of everything I've studied in the cycle is that it's exactly the same every time. In 91 and 74, it was exactly the same. Where you had a vast percentage of the population simply could not afford the basics. But somehow the US seems to find a way around it. Um, this time the way around it seems to have been the supply of their, to their police force of all of their military gear that seems to keep a few places under control. Um, I've got, I don't know the answer. I, you know, um, you're going to have to watch it. The debts are way too high. But again, I've seen that too. Last last time in '91, if you've read my book, I demonstrated that, that nobody in '92 or '93 anywhere in the world thought the US would ever repay its debts. It was exactly the same. And yet, a way around it seemed to happen, or at least to be able to push things forward. So, the um, the banking elite. They are not going to allow the system to collapse. And one of the ways they can push things forward is by opening up new areas of the world where the land is yet to be mortgaged. Vietnam, China, um, parts, of, parts of Korea, North Korea, if they could ever get their hands on it. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of land around the world that the banks don't have their fingers in yet. 
The World Bank is constantly, this is, I don't mean to sound conspiratorial, but the World Bank is constantly trying to break into those areas, as this organisation well knows, because we spent a lot of time in the early 1990s trying to get Russia, when it opened up, trying to get Russia into a system where they didn't privatise their rent, the rent of their resources. The World Bank moved straight in there, and anybody, anybody that was anybody that was counter their, to their viewpoint, the US, especially in the US, either didn't give them a visa or a passport, or they were shot on the spot. It was as simple as that. We saw that happen. Did we not, Brian? Yeah. We saw that happen. Brett Harrison. Yes. And yes. And some of them were the used to be Yes. Yeah, yeah. All, all that history is here. All the literature is there if you want to read it. When you get to know that, it's a, it just tells you what's coming next. It really does. Now, the, the Chinese, if things turn down a little bit more, they may have to open up the buying and selling of land to their farmers. And the first thing farmers are going to do is borrow against that land value. And there's your system. Yes? And that will open up a whole new territory of trillions of acres to banks to lend and to create credit on. So that's that's the move I see. It just creates another another cycle. As much as I wouldn't from here I don't want to see it, but that's what you know you can see it happening. I hope to build some of that data, but it's not always leading indicator stuff. At the end of the day, the, the lead is going to come from land price and certainly towards the mid-cycle slowdown and the, the end of the cycle. Uh, in some senses, you, you don't have to have all that data in some ways because the, the fund managers and all those big market analysts that constantly study the stocks, they do it for you. And if you can learn to read a chart the way WD GAN shows you how to do, the market will tell you. I'm, I'm hopeful of that at least anyway. So far, so good. Just as an extreme example, you get to 2024 or thereabouts in 2025 and everything we see, tall buildings, credit, you know, everything's frothing along. And if you see suddenly that the, the housing building stocks somewhere in China or whatever, they, they start cascading downwards and it'll happen, nobody will notice, then you, that, that's the sort of thing you can watch, I think. And that's, the stock market's going to tell you. Yeah, that's, that's what I try to focus on first. Yes. Are, are there any alarm bells going off with the negative yields in the bond markets and the sovereign debt markets across the world that are ringing in your ears? Did everybody hear that question? Okay. Yeah, the, the, any alarm bells with the negative yields going across the world? Um, that's an interesting question. It's a tough one to answer. In one sense, I do it indirectly. I happen to think, and again, I, this this put me this put me way out on a limb. But I, I've been saying this. If you've been to a lot of my former talks, I've been saying this since two thousand seven, eight, and beyond. I've always thought interest rates for this entire century will stay low, and I think they'll stay low because we're in a we're in an era, we're in an environment now where the new technology can really start to feed off itself. You know, and every time I every time I have a discussion, you know, I talk to <coughs> I talk to my son Al, Skype. You know, he doesn't use emails anymore. Emails are ancient. It's just, it's just that sort of stuff's gone. He's on, he's on Skype chat with all the other stuff that you can do with all the Apple apps. You can, you can um, FaceTime and all these sorts of things. It's, emails are too slow. Whereas for me, you know, it's pretty fast, I reckon. <laughs> so, 
If this progresses, bearing in mind that we live in a in a in a system where the rent is privatised and then it's it's for want of a better word the way I describe it, it's a it's a land and close rent and close system that we then create credit on. Um, there is nothing else that a reserve bank or the central bankers can do than to, to lower yields to extraordinary levels, even negative, if there's no inflation. Because if there's no inflation, or if we get some sort of modest deflation, then interest rates have to go that low, otherwise the real rate of interest is still too high. This could really persist for a long time yet. And in fact, the way it's shaping up at the moment, this could drive the cycle right into 2026. It really could, because every cycle never repeats the same way. It's, it's got to repeat so differently, but the same. It's got to repeat so differently that nobody sees it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Least of all me sometimes. I've got the, I can, I, and you've seen the, the theoretical framework, but there's going to be things happen. You say to yourself, Ross, how do I explain that? It just doesn't seem to fit sense. That's probably one of them. Is there a precedent in history? No, not, not, well, um, I suspect the Industrial Revolution must have been quite substantial for people. And I suspect they'd have seen things uh, that must have been absolutely astonishing for them. And I do know from about 1820 right through to 1890, prices, in effect, prices, by, by, by 1890, prices were lower than they were in 1820. But they also saw three huge booms and busts, maybe, maybe four. We could well see this. I think we could well repeat that, uh, possibly for the same reasons. Um, that we've just got extraordinarily amazing development and technology happening that is really keeping things, keeping inflation way low, all, all sorts of other things, you know. You look back 1835, it must have been 1840. The churches were having a really hard time in 1840, right around the world, because you're supposed to go to church on Sunday. The, the churches were empty because everybody was getting on the new trains. Yes? So that the so that the, the powers to be they had to do something about it, of course. Because they just want the people sheep. So I think similar could happen where there's just so much technology happening, just so much development. I mean, you know, my our kids coming through these days, if they're only you know, 10, 12, 13, 14, what they're going to do with technology I think will be amazing. Potentially. Yeah. And then, of course, after that, if Nobody ends up listening to organisations like Prosper. The cycle could well involve the mining of minerals on asteroids that will take the rent into space. Okay, so this is, ha this is happening already. The, 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 the Congress has just now allowed the private ownership of asteroids. They've just passed those laws. Done, done very quietly. So, so... Private companies are now going to send spaceships to look for stuff, which they'll find. Then they'll plant a flag there. The only way to defend that flag is militarily. Yes? And then you have what we do in the world takes to uh, into space. See? That is why, that's why it's just so important, whether you agree or not with what Prosper does, it's just so important that um, an organisation like Prosper um, continues to put out uh, the information because it gives people things to think about and it gives you a choice about what it is you really want. Okay, so at some point you have to decide. Yes? Why is it that the, the message from Prosper hasn't got into 
Oh. It hasn't filtered its way. I mean, obviously, invested interest, right? But seriously, I mean, it's sitting here listening to this, it becomes like it's, it's compellingly strong what you presented. So how is it that, you know, some of the politicians and others just don't soak it in? Don't, don't, don't get it. And it's not being naive about vested interests. Of course there's vested interests, but surely one politician can take the flag and run it and, and uh, start to do I wouldn't, I don't want to. I don't want to go there too much. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, there's, there's, there's a little bit of um, fear involved. Uh, it will require, uh, to some extent, it will require a leap of faith and it will require a paradigm shift. And if you've, you know, all of us here probably, if you've ever done some work psychologically and if, you ever, if you've ever tried to readjust your thinking along whatever it is you might want to readjust to, all of us, everyone knows just exactly how hard that is to just, even just to, just to change some of your habits about how well you get up in the morning and what you eat, you've got to change your diet. That can be, it's, it's, it's really, really difficult. At times, or it's as difficult as you make it, it is. So, uh, um, take away the fear in some ways. Um, and that's not easy to do because as soon as you say, if I say to people, I've, I've said plenty of people say, well, we should tax the land, but they call me a communist because I'm taking the land away from them. Whereas, all I'm trying to do is you can still own it, it's just it's, it's the rent you don't own. You own the land, yeah, someone's got to own it, obviously. Yes, well, uh, I've seen some former talks. And you were saying that Australia might not be following the, the general cycle from the US and Europe, that it might be following some Asian cycle. Yes. Uh, do you still think, think that might be the case? And another question is that in Australia, we don't seem to have seen a, a, a decline in house prices anywhere near as much as in other places, US and UK. So it didn't look like, we haven't really gone down, we haven't got the down cycle. So yeah. what is the cycle in Australia compared to the rest of the world? Yes, yeah, good questions. Um, I don't have an answer to that. We're just going to have to see how it unfolds and see what happens. But there are things you can look at where Australia is that I think will tell us well in advance and we've got to see what, how that plans out. One of the ways, obviously, is tall buildings. Australia could have shifted a little bit, or at least, at least it, I, I still think it's running towards the US because we follow the US. But given that we haven't had a recession for so long, it may not take much of a more severe downturn in China to affect us. It won't affect the US. The US just moves to its own beats. And I tried to show that if, with the talk I gave last month, which is up on the CTNF website. I tried to show that in 1997. When, the, when Southeast Asia had its huge downturn, when Thailand collapsed, Indonesia collapsed, had a change of government, um, Korea, all those places, right through 97 to 98, 99. If you don't know your history on that, you should, you should read my book, in the, the, one of the current chapters. You can have a look at it. The Dow, the Dow didn't budge. I mean, it, it had a day or two where it dropped a few, 3 or 4%, but it bounced back immediately within a couple of days. So I think that's due for a repeat. Again, that's why I put it in my book. So I'm not, that, that's how I think it will unfold. The US is still the US and it's, they're just, China can have a, China could evolve in some particular fashion downturn. Australia will, Australia's going to feel it. It must feel it. 
Go see how that pans out. Second party question was. Um, well, we haven't had the crashing. Oh yes, price yes, in yes. Australia. Haven't had the crashing that price. What I've also found, if you if you through what I tried to show in the book, the real estate cycle never ever anywhere has had a severity the second time the same as what it was in the first. So Australia had its major, major, big time downturn in 1991. Since that time, we've been on a commodities blast, which I still think is going to run. Um, not every commodity, but most, especially agricultural commodities, still going to run. It's just going to keep Australia afloat. Because <coughs> the, the cycle after 1991, what I, noticed, what I noticed, it could never turn down again like it did in 91, because after 1991, for those that can remember it, remember it was a generational shift. Do you remember what happened? Certainly in Melbourne, virtually everywhere, we got brand new governments, especially in Melbourne, we got a guy come in that was full of energy, and he completely changed practically everything. So all councils were merged from three to one. Hospitals that no longer had people in it were closed. People didn't like that change. In fact, there were groups sprung up to, to, to do absolutely everything to stop him doing that sort of stuff. Councils were merged. Um, people were forced to shift if they wanted. If they were unemployed, he, at federal level, they were forced into all sorts of programs. It created enormous, enormous fighting along the way. But it shifted everything into a big, huge up move where we built, and still are, building hospitals where we need them, building schools on the, out of places where they were needed, where, they, where a lot of places weren't, weren't didn't have them. We closed a lot of inner, inner suburban schools and, we, and guess what, of course, the government then closed the schools, sold off the real estate. It was often government mates that bought the real estate. They brought in a builder, built the builder and made huge profits. We got the casino, Kenneth's mate, got the land practically for free. But that stuff is generational. That's beyond an 18 year cycle. It's generational. It doesn't repeat the same way. Yes? So yeah. If that cultural prices are going to go up, that means that they're already up. Yeah. So your 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 um the value of your land in your agricultural areas is going to increase. Yes. Yes. So in terms of like some of your agricultural based areas might end up catching up now. Yes. Yes. In fact, um, that's almost. Oh, no, I can't say almost. <coughs> so, but, I think that's coming, yes. Because um, Australia, I think, I don't want to finish on this note, so somebody's got to ask me another question. <laughs> the, this current real estate cycle, in my view, in my humble view, is going to test the very fabric of what Australia thinks it stands for. Last cycle, in the 1980s, all of us here, not, not personally, but a lot of Australians went overseas, we bought in Bali. We bought in Thailand. We bought in Southeast Asia. We didn't give a hoot. We didn't care a thing about what the. We bought. We pushed up the land prices of those countries. Do you think the people the buying over the, the buyers that went over there? Do you think they cared much about the local people who could no longer afford to buy their house? Not a bit. The Chinese are now coming out here. They don't. They don't care how high the price is, and they don't care. If you and I, if your kids can't buy the house because the price is too high, this is going to test the very fabric of what Australia is made of. And it could continue at least for the next 10 years. And the real estate lobby, they are not going to allow you to complain about it. 
Because they're going to come up and say the Chinese, they drive job growth, they drive this, they drive that, they drive everything else. And you're a racist to bring it up. Yeah, and yes, I'm a racist because I want to talk about it. Yes. Okay. So, um, perhaps they, perhaps it's a bit careful to say they don't care, but they've got other priorities which are important to them. Okay. So, these are, these are the things that happen in the cycle. And what I see at the moment, it could easily drive quite a large cycle. And it could test, well, you know, all sorts of stuff that, 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 that could be coming. And, you know, they'll want, when they live here, they'll, when they live here, and, and look, good luck to them. Um, they're, they're, if Australia's silly enough to, uh, if Australia's silly enough to, to permit these things, then they're welcome. So we're just going to have to see how that pans out and what happens, okay? But it could, it is at the moment, driving prices to, to clearly what could well end up being unsustainable levels. <coughs> yes? I don't want to finish on that one, so we've got to ask another question. Yeah. Now, I look at my 13 year old, and I can tell you I wish I was 13 again. What he will be able to do is, um, is astonishingly interesting and unbelievably good. I'll just give you a couple of examples. There's a kid in London, there's a kid, a kid in London, 14, 14, and he, the newspapers and, and publishers and the TV, they had been looking for a way to have a, a, a bot, a, a, a machine, condense one page down to five lines so that it could then be fed out on Twitter and all the other sort of stuff, so that, and their news feeds, so that they could do that, and so that they wouldn't have, so that the journalists wouldn't have to be bogged down all the time condensing this material, so that people could get overviews. This 14-year-old kid designed an algorithm to do that, and he sold it last year for 22 million. News Corp board. He's just simply working out of his bedroom. His mum was going frantic. She was. She was beside herself because she couldn't get him to school. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, they now live in a wonderful house. <laughs> so, to me, the opportunities are still there. It's just different now. And you are, you're going to get a generation, a, a sub-generation of people that will be left behind because they either don't enjoy the computer skills, they can't do it, or they're coming from a socio-economic background that that just simply precludes the kids being able to get into that system. I don't think it was any different in 1955 or 1974. You still had those socio-economic problems and you still had, you still had different way. you had to do things different. After the Second World War, you had to do things different than, than before it. It was just, it was just different. Jobs were different. So I, I acknowledge and I accept exactly what you say, but I still think we've got, we've got huge potential. Now, as you guys should know, because now you've attended here, where are those gains going to go? They're not going to go to the... They'll go to some workers, and wages overall will expand. But as a percentage, they'll be running behind the rent. Yes? Until that's addressed, the solution will never be found. Yes? Yeah. Okay, we had a question. Uh, I, I think I've read that America will become oil self-sufficient. At some point, so yes. that would be does that mean a prosperous America which buys a lot of crap from China? Yes, which then deposits their wealth here to a degree. How do you see? 
we've Gee, got. I'm glad you asked that question because we've got stu stupendous opportunities right around the world now, where you've got uh, where America um, pros and cons, good and goods and bads, but you've got a situation where America, I think, if not already, it's close to energy self-sufficiency. Who'd have seen that five years ago? Uh, it means it will be able to perhaps sponsor a few less things around the world because it doesn't have to protect its oil interests so much. Then again, you're still going to get, if I may say, um, bless the Americans, I love them, but, but their CIA stinks. They'll still have that right-wing CIA agenda where they're still going to have to control and do everything else. So will it change anything? Who knows? I hope that it might perhaps bring forward a great discussion of what they could do with the benefits. It might also mean that you might see, you could then, after that, see potential change in currency basis where, where they, Americans might then start to agree to a second, a second, promote a second currency like the euro or something else. But we'll see. It's all energy related. Good question because it is, and energy is the rent. Energy is the rent. All right, we, we should, we should finish it there. Before I finish and Carl comes back on, don't forget, there are some great, there really are, you will not get these books anywhere else in the world. This is where I started, it taught me everything I knew, and there's no reason why in a year or two's time, you got, one of you guys can't be, or one of you ladies or guys can't be out here um, doing the same thing I've done, because uh, I wish to retire. So grab, do grab some of those things. Thanks for having me today, it's been absolutely uh, fantastic, there's no show without punch, so... Well, well done, Phil. Yet again, yet again, another enlightening talk. Look, uh, st hang around for uh, some drinks and uh, nibbles. Uh, and I'll just point out we have uh, Catherine Cashmore here. Some of you might have seen in the press uh, writing our speculative vacancy report. Philip Seuss, the chart master. Uh, David Collier up the back. And Brian Kavanagh, of course, the font of wisdom. So uh, please uh, grab a drink and uh, let's delve further into these issues.